All right, and I'm joined today with Lydia Liebman. Uh, seems to be, you know, synonymous now with with every form of publicity in the jazz world, and everyone's hitting you up. What is what's going on? How does it feel to kind of do this? I know, like things just kind of been running to say the least. Like Forbes thirty under thirty for music, and when does it stop? <laughs> Well, first of all, thanks so much, Alan, for having me. It is a pleasure to chat with you. Um, outside of music is great. And um, one of my favorite, and truly not just saying this because you're you, but uh, it is certainly one of my favorite labels to work with. So it's a pleasure. Um, as to your question, where does it stop? That's a, that's a good one. I thought, I thought COVID last year when it started would have stopped everything, and it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the jury's still out on what will, what will stop the train from rolling. But uh, it just seems to be that there's a lot of great music that's coming out and um, people need to hear it. So, you know, the answer is kind of simple. It's like, as long as there's great music coming out, there's going to be a reason for, for, for me or people like me to do, do my job. But uh, it's really great. Um, I, I really am lucky to, to work with the people I work with and to work with the labels I work with. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it has changed a lot, especially in the past year. Publicity has gone through quite a bit of a transition due to COVID and just in general with tours being canceled and venues being closed and outlets laying off reporters and journalists to cover music. So it's, um, it's constantly evolving and constantly changing, which makes it difficult in some form, but also quite exciting. And um, it's, it's fun above all and stressful. <laughs> it's still fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think both of those might be the understatements of the year, you know, with how fun it can be and how stressful it can also be. Um, But how, so how did this all start for you? Because what I didn't realize until, well, there's many things I didn't realize, I guess to start off. So Jeff Coffin lives down the street from me. Yeah. We were hanging out one night and, you know, he runs his like little label thing. And so we're talking and I was like, yeah, you know, we work with Lydia and he kept saying like Lydia's dad, you know, he's like, Oh yeah, I hang out with her dad. And like, it came to some point where I was just like, who, why, who is her dad? And he was like, does the name Liebman not, you know, like it hit, you know, cause to me, you're always just like Lydia, like Lydia, Thank you know, the you. email, Lydia. I'm so glad. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And so it, it, it clicked, you know, because I also, I think I have been miss, uh, like like incorrectly thought of to be maybe one of Terrence's relatives. And there's obvious reasons why that like is not the case. Right. But I also didn't know that you started in radio, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, well, to, to answer the question, I mean, it's kind of a situation where how could I not be doing this in some way? Um, because right. yeah, so my dad is Dave Liebman and my mother's also a musician. Her name is Karis Byzantine Liebman. So she's a, an oboist and um, an ear training um, aficionado expert. So I did grow up in this music, obviously being around it. Um, but like all good teenagers, I rebelled <laughs> against what my parents did. And I didn't really get into jazz until I was, you know, like later in my, my teen years. And at that time I had decided that I wanted to go to school uh, for political communication. So I went to Emerson College originally for poly, polycom. Thank goodness that I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> after one semester of doing that, I was like, oh man, like this is totally not for me. Um, but I got really involved in the radio station there and I just loved being on the air. I loved hosting a show. I loved interviewing artists especially. And that was just such a pleasure for me. So I got started doing radio 
did that for four years. And being in that, um, in that way on, on the air, you get to see like what people are pitching and you get to see what press kits look like and what promo CDs look like and, and all these things. And that's kind of how I got introduced to this side of the business. I had no idea like what a publicist was, what PR was, none of that um, when I got started. I mean, when you grow up with musicians as parents, you just kind of see what you see and you don't really understand what goes into it. So I had no idea. It was like a totally new world to me. And uh, like Mark Reaney and Josh Elman, you know, would send me promo discs in the mail and I thought it was amazing. I was like so honored to like get like their, you know, Robert Glasper CD at my lowly right. college. So, so that's how I got started. I uh, started with radio and then um, I, I gradually got into like uh, concert and show promotion. Um, sure. I started doing shows or promoting shows in the Boston area and that's kind of how things got going. And then about six years ago, seven years ago, I started doing album release campaigns and then I started focusing on new releases and stuff. And now here we are. And um, now we've done, oh my God, I don't know, maybe 350, maybe 400 records. I don't even know a lot. <laughs> so to now be on the other side of it, um, how does radio look like and feel to you? You know, because I think the majority of people, especially musicians that are not like tethered into the industry, just look at it as, as antiquated, you know, but where do you see its value and, and how do you think it's going to keep up for lack of a better word, you know? Yeah, you know, there's a place for everything, I feel. And I think that there's a place for radio, there's a place for blogs, there's a place for national press, and there's a place for, for everything, first for social media stuff. I mean, I think it really just comes down to what you want to get out of it. And I think that jazz radio is still a really valuable and um, a really viable to tool for promotion. I mean, a lot of people still listen to the radio. Um, the demographic is certainly different than those that are maybe primarily streaming on Spotify, but you want to reach everyone. So, you know, who's to say that you have to focus on one particular demographic and age group? Um, I think that it's important to be well-rounded and broad and, and try to hit as many people as you can. So for that reason alone, I think it's worth doing radio. Um, but also, you know, I, I do think that radio is... Radio is getting really creative these days. There are, are really creative shows that are not programming the same typical stuff that you would expect. There are, um, there are some stations, for instance, in the UK, um, you know, Worldwide FM, Jazz FM, you know, there are some really wonderful programs that are really, really eclectic and are not just like playing like your normal stuff that you would expect. Right. And that, um, you know, I think that that's like a paradigm of what we can do here um, in the US. Um, I would just say that there's a lot of creative things happening on the radio, right. not just um, the traditional stuff that you would expect. And I think that there is a place for it. And I think that it should be part of any rollout and any campaign, whether, you know, do you have to send to like 300 college radio stations? No, not necessarily. But I think that if you do the research and kind of see, you know, what outlets and what DJs um, are active and are doing creative stuff, that there's a lot that can be done in that way. So I love radio. Radio is great. We love it. So what do you think then is like looking at it, you know, because obviously you work a lot of traditional press, you know, and yeah. radio and you just, you got your people, you yes. know, where do you think that you see stuff trending towards the future as, especially as we get caught up in COVID and we're having to see like great publications all over the place, having to reformat and reimagine what it's looking like. And things are pushing digitally because we weren't in to create publications and all this. Like, how do you think this is going to change over the next five years or whatnot? You know, something that I, I, I think is kind of happening more and more is 
we have to kind of look at like what is the value of press and like what it actually does for us. And one of the things I've noticed is, you know, a lot of the things that we're getting for clients are really in the end content creation. Like it's to give stuff for them to put on Facebook. It, to, it gives them things to post about, you know, on social media, it gives them things to share. And that is really where people are, you know, they're on, they're on social media. So the real goal is to kind of like, we're creating content. So therefore it becomes, yes, it's important to have Rolling Stone. Yes. You want to have NPR do something for your music. These things are all really important and helpful, but there's nothing to be taken away from the smaller bloggers or from independent freelance writers or people that kind of have maybe, you know, up and coming podcasts or have, you know, different types of things that are not traditional because in the end, it's really what the artist does with those things. So if someone's writing a review and nobody reads it, like, what's the point? But if the artist, you know, is able to take that and share it on his social platform, maybe he can repurpose it, create, you know, multiple graphics or, you know, find some way to, to roll out the content that it makes um, I think that that's where a lot of, of press is going these days. So it's not so much about like where it's coming from and where it appears. Obviously we all want that, but what we really want to do is create some really, you know, have excuses basically to create content and have things be, you know, active for our artists. So I do think that things are continuing in that direction for sure. Um, I also do think we're going to have to contend with traditional media decreasing. If the past year has been any indication, um, these traditional media outlets have really taken a hit. And it's because their budgets have been slashed, um, the coverage opportunities have dried up because people have had to focus on world events. So there's a lot of things that have happened. So we have to kind of also get to a place where, you know, I want to have all these publications living forever, but it very well may not. So we have to constantly be thinking of ways to kind of bring jazz into other conversations that maybe are not your traditional venues um, as far as like press goes. And that is a challenge I deal with all the time. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough time and things are definitely changing quickly and fast, but I don't think it's a negative outlook. I think it just comes down to your framing your perspective about what good can come from changes as opposed to lamenting things going away. Definitely. And I mean, I know that we touched on this a little bit, um, the other day talking, but you know, we, we, I think primarily a lot of what you work with is like release centric, you know, it's all about releases coming out, albums coming out, generating a buzz around it and whatnot. And how do you think that, you know, compares, I guess, to what we're doing in the jazz world versus then you look at other genres and it's like they have, you know, label publicists that are like release centric, but then they also have like personal publicity teams that are like they're more long term helping drive, you know, I guess an overall brand and whatnot. And how do you think the value? Because I think there's like a flip side to say like, well, we don't necessarily need it, you know, the way that we're approaching the industry, but also from the flip, like if you have that, you know, would it really grow someone's career to that next, you know, uh, tier or whatnot in that sense? Yeah, I mean, yes and yes. I mean, certainly it helps to have an overall strategy that's all inclusive and that's not just focusing on one part of the puzzle. I mean, when you're an artist, you're a multidisciplinary, you know, you're, you're, you're not just one thing. Um, you're not just, you know, releasing one album, you're probably releasing several and, and maybe you're appearing on other people's projects, you're touring, you're touring with other artists. I mean, I think a good example actually um, is one of the artists that, you know, that we have in common is Steven Feifke. You know, Steven is releasing an album with you guys, a big band record, but he's also done a ton of orchestration and arrangements, you know, for, for instance, Veronica Swift on her new record. And he's also doing stuff for television and he's also doing stuff here and there and touring here. And, you know, there's a lot to work with there. And um, 
when somebody has their hands in a lot of different pots, you do want to like bring that into the story because like they themselves are the brand. They're so much bigger than just one record. So in the case of a musician like that, yeah, it totally makes sense to kind of frame it that way and to, and to think long-term and think about how all these little pieces, you know, fall into the puzzle. On the other hand, you have artists that, you know, maybe they're not very active. Maybe they have day jobs, you know, they're doing something else. And, and for them releasing one album, you know, every couple of years is like their thing. And that's, that's their main focus. And that is the story. And honestly, like that is kind of the case with a lot of artists. They don't have maybe the, not necessarily the career, but they don't necessarily have the resources to continue to put new stuff out. Um, so in that case, it does make sense to just focus on a release. And obviously in jazz, like we're focusing on releases because like, that's where we get a lot of our press. Like we don't have right you know, like, like jazz doesn't have a gossip column. Like we don't have right, a right. jazz musicians, you know, we don't, we don't have, um, you know, architectural digest doesn't necessarily care, you know, what uh, my house looks like. You yeah, know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like our opportunities are limited because we are a small percentage of the overall music market. Um, but there are, but for those artists though that do, that can fill those, those roles, um, jazz always gets, you know, like one or two a year that become like the names. Um, it does make sense to do things that way. It just really comes down to like what we have to work with. Um, And then as far as a label is is concerned, you know, and like, yeah, there are like label, you know, there are people that push particular labels um, and the culture around those labels and where a label really has like a really unified sound and a really strong message and mission. And that's something that takes a lot of time to develop. And um, it takes time developing a roster and, and then really trying to carve out, you know, what the message is. And I think that there are some labels that do this particularly well, like um, uh, by Philia Records, you know, you kind of know what they're about, you know, their whole message is really, it's really simple. You know what they're about. Um, but that took, you know, it took many years of, of fostering and, and coming up with that. And, um, you know, they have the same publicist who works all those releases and it kind of helps build that narrative. So yeah, it's really interesting. You can go with it either way. So what are things then that you think that us in the jazz industry is doing wrong or should look at in a different manner, especially like talking about earlier, you know, where you do think we need to try and take the conversation out of us. Cause we always think of it as like jazz musicians are going to check out jazz musicians. It's just, so like, I don't necessarily care about that demographic too much, but how do you reach, you know, past that? Well, this is where things get complicated because there's always this kind of like straddling the line between, you know, between being authentic and, and, and not selling out and all this like BS, you know, it's like, if you, if you do something that could be commercially viable, it's like in the jazz world, sometimes you're looked at like, Oh, like, wow, why would you do that? <laughs> and it's like, how do you make money? Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with me with that. Um, so there is a little bit of a, I will say like the snobbery and the jazz police have, to- I do feel it's been toned down a little bit over the years. I do think that like the melding of genres and kind of a general acceptance um, has increased for, for things that are maybe a little bit more commercially viable. Uh, but it still exists. And I think that the first thing is kind of like squashing this, this feeling that if you do something that people like, that means that there's something wrong with you. And that's not true. Like, you know, people can like hip things and that's fine. And, and right. also can be easily digestible. And it doesn't mean it's corny or that it's not, it doesn't have as much merit as, you know, something that's extremely avant-garde and really hard to, you know, only like two people can understand. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think a lot of it starts like with like kind of the attitude <laughs> and, sure. you know, kind of like the, the view um, and on the other side of that, I mean, just in the jazz press in general, you know, I, I do find, I'm sure this is a complaint with every genre, but 
you know, it does get frustrating that I do feel like we are often speaking of the same crop of people most of the time and the same high level labels tend to get the majority of the space, you know, the air in the room tend to get sucked up by your big labels. And I do understand that's part of, you know, that's part of the machine. I get that. Um, I, I really am a champion for the bloggers and writers and journalists that cover the independent artists or those that are on boutique labels like Outside of Music and, you know, um, Whirlwind and, and uh, Doc Time and, you know, these labels that have really robust and excellent rosters but are not necessarily putting out like Chick Korea records. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wish that, I, I do wish that there was like a generally like a more, uh, more acceptance in that world. But um, the ones that we do have that do the indie stuff do a wonderful job. And that's like Bandcamp and Stereo Gum. And, you know, there are writers that have great ears and they are listening to everything. I do wish that we could get a little bit more from the big ones and it wasn't just like the same stuff all the time. But I'm working to change this all the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and, and I guess branching off on the concept of like acceptance, you know, like how do you feel that your side of the industry is going? You know, because I think even with all of the advancements or whatever you want to call it, you know, as time has gone on, it's still to a degree a little bit of like that, like that quote, good old boys club, you know, like, like the industry is definitely like, I know somebody so I can do this, you know, and how have you felt with breaking into that? Cause it's not like as far different as a saxophonist breaking into playing or whatnot, but it's just with, you know, you talk about like, they all like you find a lot of people getting the same press and a lot of people getting the same talked about. And it's, you know, we have, the usually older generation, you know, what not running it, but the people that have just known each other for years and years and years upon years, like how does Lydia, you know, slide in there and fit in there? That's a good question. And it's an interesting one because I think when I was first getting started, it was kind of interesting because I kind of felt like there was a lot of, you know, it was, I was getting, first of all, like in some ways it was cool because I knew a lot of these writers and journalists and I knew people because I was growing up in this music. But on the other hand, um, because when you're like the daughter of someone who's already established in a certain field, like the first thought is always like, oh, well, so-and-so is only talking to her because like she's Dave's daughter. Like they're going to be nice to her. But, you know, and okay, like maybe that does help to a degree. I mean, a little bit in the the beginning, but in the end, like you still have to like do the work and put up. I mean, and if you, if you don't have anything to back it up, then no one cares. I mean, it's these kids of famous people are a dime a dozen doing things. And if they suck at it, it becomes pretty clear. And usually that, you know, that gloss wears off pretty fast. So I, I did have a little bit of that in the beginning. And, um, you know, so maybe in some ways, like I had slightly a better chance of my email getting open because they recognize my last name, but, you know, I still have to like do a good job at my job. Um, so for, for me, I mean, I will just say that it's really important to build really solid relationships and to be really careful about what you're bringing to these people. It's like journalists and press people have, um, are, I'm sorry, journalists and uh, media people rather are getting completely bombarded with emails and pitches and new music every day. I mean, the email I had one, I saw like on a, a colleague of mine posted something today on Twitter and she was like, wow, like I have 200, <laughs> 200 new emails before 9am. It must be Friday because right. you know, all the music is coming out. So you have to kind of develop a rapport with, with writers and journalists so that they can count on what you're giving them is, is good. So the first thing is like, I don't want to give anybody stuff that sucks or that, you know, is not ready for consumption. Not saying that I need to like love everything I work, but I have to at least like it and see like the merit in it. 
Um, and I want it to be something that I think is going to have a good story. And that's yeah. great. Yeah. You know, so establishing that type of relationship is important. And then that's, you know, once you kind of get a relationship, they get used to getting stuff from you. And then, you know, sometimes, especially radio programmers, you know, they don't always listen to everything you send. They kind of trust you. And they're like, well, Lydia sent me this. So she says track five is the most programmable. All right, I'll put that in. Now, if they play track five and it completely doesn't fit their show, that's, and they trusted me on it. You know, that's a, a ding against me because it's like, oh man, they trusted me and it wasn't right. So that's why you want to be really careful and really conscious about what you're pitching and how you're pitching it. So um, for me, I have definitely the felt uh, still to this day. I've been doing this now 10 years. And, um, you know, even with like the accolades and like the great artists I work with, and I do think I do a good job. I mean, I certainly do some, sometimes certainly feel like, you know, there are certain journalists and writers and, and there's that old boys club. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, like they're cool with me and, they're cool, but I definitely sometimes feel like I'm not in the inner circle on that sometimes. And um, I have to work, I feel sometimes I have to work extra hard to get them to, you know, to, to not necessarily to cover my artists. I know my artists are good, but it's just like, even just to get sometimes like an answer on something. And it's like, I know that there are some of my male colleagues. I'm not saying it's because I'm a woman. I'm not saying that, but there are some that have a much easier time, you know, getting a no. And to us as publicists, even getting a no is better than getting nothing. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a whole other discussion that can be had about what that is and what it's like to be a woman in this business and especially at my age as well and dealing with people that are much older than me, mostly male. And there's a lot that's, <laughs> that can be put into that for sure. But overall, yeah. the jazz community has been extremely accepting and super cool and 95% are homies and they have been so good to me and so good to my artists and I am just, I love them. So most are cool. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I think one of the things, and this is, you know, I'm sure the same in a lot of other businesses, but that we love about it is like, it's so small, you know, and that yeah. like, there is the hang, there's the vibe, you know, it's like, there's definitely that first name basis, but it also can definitely hinder people, you know, trying to get into it. Um, yeah. I don't and know. Reputations, reputations are everything, you know, it's such a, such a small world. I mean, it is so, so, so tiny. Like I just feel like our world is so insular and it's the world I've known my whole life because I literally grew up in this world. So like, I really do feel like it's its own ecosystem planet. Yep. And so much of what goes on in the jazz world is so specific to us that it does not carry over to other genres or other fields that like sometimes I really have to remind myself that like I live in the real world and that, you know, there's more than just like the bubble that I put myself in because it really is easy to get sucked in and then forget that there's like a completely other universe going on outside of this tiny little micro absolutely micro world. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have our own, you know, colloquials. We, we all talk a certain way and it becomes accepted. It's just, it is what it is. So how do you think, um, like if someone wants to like disrupt the system, you know, they want to, they want to change it. Where do you think that they put that place in? You know, how do you think that they really get out of the, the cycle? Well, it depends what cycle and where, right. like, where are they trying to leave from? Like, because it's also important to note that there are, so in this like little tiny universe, there are these like little, little micro worlds of everything else within that. And they all have their own hierarchies and their own little universes and their own politics. And, you know, so it kind of depends, like it's, when you say break out of that or disrupt it, which, which specifically? <laughs> well, I think, 
I think from, okay, so from our perspective, and I'm sure you've felt this too, you get, you know, the musician that's on the up and up and or the first record or whatnot. And it's always like, I want to get in downbeat, you know, or like it's there, like the pinnacle as to some is like getting their college degree is like recording their record, you know, and like, how do you get them to break out in the sense that like they they get past that they're not putting that on a pedestal anymore we're just moving on we're like we're talking about a career you know the long game like i'm still going to be here when i'm 50 long game time time is the only thing that fixes that yeah time is the only thing because everybody wants to be a star overnight and in our world being a star is not the same as being a star anywhere else unless you happen to be Esperanza Spalding or John Batiste or someone who yeah. has Winton McBride yeah. or the next yeah right. and like those and those folks you know Winton and, and Christian and you know Matheny um that like a list top tier you know they have been the top tier a list for decades and right. will stay there you know forever <laughs> you know like they're not going anywhere so for the for the disruptors that come in that are a little bit younger and are like Esperanza you know when she won that award 10 years ago I mean these types of things happen every once in a blue moon. Um, and it's great. The problem is that people see that and they think that that's the norm and it's not. So you have to kind of think realistically of like the trajectory of your whole career. And the truth is, is that every artist wants to be, of course, everybody wants to be on the cover of Downbeat if they're a jazz musician. I mean, that's everybody's dream right. and that's a great dream to have and it could totally happen. Um, but I think you really have to visualize your career as the long game. And the only way though I really think that that happens is with, is with time. Um, and when you start doing this, you know, it's very interesting because I work with artists from all different spectrums. And so it's like, I've got people that are up and coming. It's their debut record. We've got people that are kind of in like the mid range of their career, you know, maybe they've been doing this for 30 years and, and they're now sure. starting to feel like, man, I really need to like get my due. Like I've been doing this so long. Like, when am I going to get X, Y, Z? And then you've got your people that are like iconic legendary folks. So you know, these are folks that are, there's no doubt, like, like, um, Wallace, I would say was Wallace Roning, you know, yeah, really, yeah. really in that, um, Charles McPherson, who I work with, you know, he's definitely in there. I mean, these guys are like, they do anything. It's press worthy because they're legends, but right. the people that are in the middle though, that is the toughest because the, actually the, the debut artists sometimes can be kind of e not easy, but in some ways they have, easier time because they're new and shiny and everybody likes to write about something that's new and shiny. So that's always kind of, okay. It's the middle where things get tough. And those are the, that's kind of the mid career thing where, you know, people are like, well, I want to be in downbeat because I deserve to be. And it's like, yeah, you definitely do. Um, <laughs> the problem is, you know, we have to basically, it then comes down to like negotiating with, for instance, downbeat about like, you know, what they want to cover. Do they want to cover someone up and coming in new? Do they want to give, you know, someone an overdue ovation? It's a jazz times term, but you know, right. an overdue ovation or whatever. So anyway, we're like constantly kind of dealing with this. Um, it's hard. And there's not really a strong answer that I can say, except that time is the, is the best teacher. And uh, that psychological though need to want to be a star right away is something that uh, eventually you will come down to reality when you realize what you're in for. <laughs> How do you, how do you suggest changing that culture? Because I think the, like specifically the term deserve, you know, not to say that these people are not deserving, but I think there's so many musicians 
um, that get caught up in like what they do is difficult. And we all know it's difficult, you know, to, to, to play at that level and to play this music more than, you know, four chord. like each thing has their difficulties, but like, it's a little different, you know, but they think because of that, like they deserve an audience and like they deserve people to come to their shows and they deserve, you know, deserve to book at uh, Dizzy's or they deserve to book at Smalls and like all of changing that culture then to understand like, especially coming from a publicity side, you know, you have to sell somebody on you as an individual, you know, you got to sell them, like create the idea of like an audience versus a fan base and, and that type of a notion in it. Like how do you change that culture when you know you maybe get someone a little baby in the world you know trying to foster them into hopefully what they can become well i mean when it comes down to like changing people's mindsets you know i i tell clients or prospective clients from the get-go the score and i know we know like realistically how these things go and and there is i think the first thing is that I think that first and foremost, artists need to understand that there's so much more to the machine than just themselves. And you can be the absolute most killing, incredible musician and, you know, a visionary composer. And, you know, you could be a really a, a dime a dozen and a really incredible musician and all of that. The thing is, though, there's a lot more than just being killing. I mean, there is the marketing machine and not just from the PR side. Um, but you know, the label you're on makes a big difference. What's the label doing? You know, the label has, has their connections and they have their distribution and it's like, what's the, what is the label doing for you? And then you've got the other side of it, like the booking part of it. A lot of the time artists want to get all these things, but they're not on the road. So now I know COVID, no one's on the road, but you know, as we're still kind of getting back into normalcy, it's like, how are people supposed to know who you are and hear you if they don't have the opportunity to hear you? And yeah, sure. Okay. Like people are streaming, whatever, but there's really nothing like people hearing an artist live. So if there's not an opportunity for them to be heard live, like you, that's another thing that's, that has to be in, in the equation. So there's all these like moving parts and then there's things that have nothing to do with the music and that's right place, right time situations. And there's been so much that's been going on in the world. Uh, Artists, I would say like last year, I will be honest, you know, I had, um, I had trouble, like any time I was working a project by, you know, um, let me rephrase this because I have to be careful. Last year, there was a lot going on uh, in the social climate. So if I had artists that were focusing on civil rights, social issue stuff, um, especially musicians of color, which, and women of color particularly, because these are voices that have often not gotten heard and have not been amplified. So I was pleased last year to see that there was a shift in a lot of attention going toward artists that come from that type of situation, whether they are, you know, releasing, um, I had an an artist that released an album on the prison industrial complex. Hmm. Something that I think I would have had a hard time shopping a year earlier, but last year it was the right time because people were having discussions about this because of everything that's been going on. Now, if you happen to be, um, you know, a middle-aged white guy from wherever and, you know, you don't have that type of component, it is a hard sell in the type of environment we were in and that we're still in. So these are all things that play into people's success. And sometimes it can be a great project, but it just maybe is not for the moment. And that thing that's for the moment, maybe it might not be, you know, a household name, but because they're hitting a certain nerve, they get the spotlight for it. So I, I think it just really comes down to um, 
being aware and to just really paying attention to what's happening and not living in a vacuum. And I think that's what a lot of it really is. And I was feeling this a lot last year. I still feel it now. You know, I have artists that ask me like, well, um, I got into, you know, this publication before. Why can't I get in there again? And it's like, well, um, the magazine is half the pages it used to be because of COVID. Um, you know, there are less opportunities for it. And there are other artists that might have a better, you know, ha might fit the time better. And you don't tell that to them, per se. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> In the right way, but that's the truth. And it's, but to me, that's like a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, have you looked at XYZ Magazine lately? Have you actually opened it up and flipped through it? Like, have you read it? Like, have you noticed how it's half the size? It used to, there's no spine anymore. Like, have you noticed these things? And most of the time they haven't because they live in their, in their own, you know, in their, in their own world. But once you kind of see what's going on and you like see what the rest of the world is, I think it kind of brings you down to reality a little bit. But as for changing the mindset, I don't know. I guess I'm nervous. I don't know. <laughs> so like, let's say in a, you know, wonderful world or whatever, you go back to Emerson, you know, you go back to some school and you're, you're, you're where you're at now, right? Speaking to a bunch of musicians that are age- I don't know, 21 to 25. So finishing their undergrad and or masters. Yeah. You know, what do you advise them to put them in the best position moving forward? Because so many people get out and either want to do the record immediately or like, I don't think I'm ready for the record or they want to get on the road immediately. Or they're like, I don't know if I should be on the road. If I can walk down the street and like Marcus Roberts is playing a concert, you know, like how do you push someone in that position? Because often, and I think you would agree with this with, outside of like Joey Alexander or someone coming out of school like that, there's a, there's imposter syndrome that like you have to accept and you have to fulfill to be able to get where you want to get. So like, how do you advise these people to get them at least on the right trajectory there, you know, from your perspective, looking like not talking about, this is how you play your horn. This is how you play Donna Lee. This is, but like branding. It's hard. It's difficult. And every situation is different. And a lot of artists have different, artists all have different goals. I mean, you have some artists that their goal is to become like Instagram famous and that's their thing. Like they want to build a really strong social following and that's their main priority. There are others who, you know, of course, people want all these things. Most people want everything. But as far as like, what's the most important to them? Right. And then others, I mean, there are some musicians that they just want to be like a working sideman and they really just want to play. And, you know, that's their goal is that they want to be, you know, if they're, especially if they're like a, you know, a bass player or a drummer or in a rhythm section, they want to be one of those guys that's like a first call guy for, you know, for other, for other big names. So, so it, it really it's actually like a really kind of tailored answer to whoever you're speaking to because it has also changed so much and it's changing so quickly with just the way that things are going. I mean, the climate is changing rapidly and especially now I think we're really on the precipice for like a serious change with, you know, as things start to open back up, I'm going to be really, you know, watching to see how, will things go back to how they were, you know, are things now kind of different? Because I mean, so many people, I live in New York, it's like so many people have left New York. So, you know, what does that say then for the people that are, that are here that have stayed and have maintained some sort of presence? Like, I think there are musicians that maybe had trouble shining through, you know, last year, but now a lot of these people are gone and maybe now this is their time that they're able to kind of come to the surface. So it's, um, it's not a size fits all kind of answer. I, I would say that, um, artists should really spend time to think about what's really important to them and really try to develop what's true to them and not what they think it should be. 
And also like social media is important. It's not everything, but it is, I mean, it is very important for what it serves, but it's definitely not the be all end all. And in the end, it doesn't matter how many likes and follows people have. I mean, when I'm pitching to traditional jazz press, for example, they don't care. I mean, they're not looking, they don't care who has, you know, five digits on, on Instagram. They don't get, they don't, just don't care. So, right. yeah, so, you know, and to some artists that matters to them, like, as in like, they want, you know, they want to get into downbeat. So for them, it's like, they would, you know, they should be focusing on something else. It's, it's all really, um, it's all really relative. Um, but I just say, you really have to spend time getting to know who you are. And personally, I don't know. I'm not sure who really knows himself at 21 years old. I mean, you know what you want to do. I mean, you know who you are. I mean, I knew when I graduated college, I like was already doing this. And like, I kind of like, I knew of course what, my, what I was doing, but I've also like grown so much as a person and as a professional and also within this music and my views of things in this music have changed so much in, you know, in the past, like, I don't know, um, six, seven years since I lived in New York that, um, you know, I'm not sure, like, people who want to put a record out immediately when they graduate college, I'm, I, it's just, you know, I don't know how great that is to do that, because you're still getting to know yourself, and right. developing as a player, so I also think you just shouldn't rush, there's no yeah. rush to do anything, take time, it takes a really long time to build a career, publicity is not built overnight, and neither is, uh, you know, is a recording career, quite frankly. Um, and people are always rushing. Like sometimes I get people that they write to me, like, I want to put this out immediately. Like, I want to put it out next month, next month. Like, can you help me? And it's like, no, because it takes at least, you know, three months, four months, you know, to get things moving to, that you are able to have things for when it is released. Right. But that rush and that instant gratification is, is something people are always fighting. So I think it's just kind of like getting to know yourself and also pacing yourself are the two things that are important, but it's a hard answer. Everyone has a different answer that they need. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough. And then how do you, you know, because with I, I'm of the mindset that like every day that you decide not to like you actively decide not to brand yourself, someone else is branding you, mm-hmm. you know, and so how do you then take that from these people that are your middle and or freshly starting clients, you know, and develop that story when there isn't a s- story per se, you know, outside of like actually the music, if they are doing music that is picked for a particular reason but how do you how do you tell the story and craft the story and then help them discover themselves you know like be a therapist but also be a publicist but also I don't know it's tough it's very tough I mean I I will say that I get a wide range of things I mean I have artists that come to me that are very specific about what their story is and they are telling me this is what it's about. And most people have at least a general idea of who they are and have a general um, theme like in mind for whatever it is that they're doing. But I also get quite a few that are just good players and they're just like, yeah, I record these tunes. I like it. Uh, I like my band. And, um, you know, I'll ask, oh, can you like tell me about the record? Yeah, I picked this tune because, um, yeah, the cha- I, I really like these changes. And, uh, you know, I like, I, I uh, I wanted to put a song about summer on there. So that's why I picked it. And I'm like, right. Okay. So, you know, in those kinds of situations, I have to create a story. And basically it's, it's a little bit of a little bit of fibbing and a little bit of just kind of, you know, sometimes they don't really care what you write. And uh, I try to be as authentic and, and authentic to the music as possible. But, you know, sometimes I'd be like, well, have you ever thought about like, maybe like, maybe you thought about this, like this song title, I don't know, um, whatever. This song title is, uh, the candle. I'm looking at a candle. You know, I'm like, so what inspired you to write that? I don't know. I like the changes. 
well, did you ever have like a candle growing up that, you know, that, that you smelt that really made an impact on you that you liked? Uh, I don't know. My mom had this one that was like, smelled like peonies that I liked. Cool. Next thing you know, you know, right. <laughs> now, now was that ever his intention when he put that? No, but it's up to me to kind of like look for those hooks and find a way to make it more interesting. So um, it's a, again, it really varies, but for me, it's like, I'm trying to get the most authentic story out of the artist that then we can then package and tell to the press so that they can become interested in this project because the story is what hooks people in the first place the music can be great but we have to do something to kind of like get them intrigued um one project you know that does this great is tomoko omira's project you know she has these ranches volume one and two and I'm, i'm looking at her cd right now so it's a fresh but you know this is a project that um, has a really definitive story. Like we right. know exactly what this is about. This is Japanese folk tales and original songs that are taken from, you know, influenced by those. This is easy. It's marketable. I can put this down in two lines. And uh, the proof is in the pudding that she got, you know, like press interest immediately when I sent this press release because it was so easy. But then you have others that are a lot more vague and there's not a lot of a story. And that is where the challenge is. See, and what's interesting because like I agree so much, you know, it's just the same thing. Like I, I think about it and it's like one of the things that I love the most is, you know, hanging out with John Faddis and hearing the stories with Dizzy or hanging out with somebody and hearing the stories. Right. But then from a ones and zeros perspective, you know, how do you think that translates over like more to DSPs and whatnot? Because like press loves stories in that respect, but then sometimes those albums that, have no stories, but it's just someone playing over a tune responds so much better there. And I think that often that can frustrate a lot of artists because then it's like even more pitting in their stomach to be like, this is emotionally tethered to, this is like a great story, but like, why is it not coming up on the other side? You know, downbeat's phenomenal, but downbeat doesn't pay the bill, you know? This is the problem. And see, this is the issue because the market and the mechanisms uh, for musicians to reach an audience are changing so rapidly. And, you know, the world of the DSPs and the streaming services and this, this universe is something that has, for a multitude of reasons, has completely upended everything. I mean, it's completely changed how people digest music, how they listen to music and how they access music and also like what they're getting. I mean, you know, the, 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 the older demographic that I work with, some, you know, they complain, oh, I can't get liner notes on Spotify. I don't like it. I know. But for people like, you know, like, like in our age group that are listening, they don't care. So there is definitely this way of having to kind of handle both. And this is why it all comes back to having a machine behind you because in our world, so like I don't work directly with the DSPs, you know, I'm working with press. So for me, I'm taking care of the long lead. I'm taking care of like the meaty stuff and, you know, the press side of it. As for the DSPs and the playlisting, that is up to whoever that is, whether it's you, the label distributor, whatever, if there's a marketer working on that to take that stuff that's heavy and make it easily digestible for the DSPs and just sort of focus and basically have two different campaigns going simultaneously. Um, It's definitely tricky and they do not necessarily correlate. And uh, yeah, it's a challenge, really is a challenge. And I think that the the biggest challenge really for us is how we are constantly trying to marry those two. And the jazz universe is always a little bit behind as far as like 
picking up on trends and, you know, singles are not, you know, all our artists obviously do singles, but it's like in the press world, it's like, there's nothing for them to get. I mean, a video premiere, maybe, you know, track premiere, cool. That's not going to move the needle. It's all for looks. So it's like, that's what we're dealing with. But yet for DSPs and for playlisting, it's super important to have singles because that's what helps drive, you know, getting onto playlists and getting onto, getting the album out there. So it is, really a tough thing. Um, the way that I've just kind of negotiated though, is that I've stayed in my lane and I'm really, really adamant about staying in my lane. Like even if there's like another radio promoter working a record, you know, I'm, I don't want to step on their toes because I understand that everyone has to do different things to make the shit move. And I know what I'm good at. And so I do what I'm good at, but I let, you know, the other experts deal with those other little things because they are all very different. And the artist, the biggest thing is the artist has to trust well, first I'll pick a good team, but then the artist has to trust that they're going to be able to do that. Um, and when you don't have everybody on the same page or like you've got people that are slacking in certain ways, it can get really, really hard. How do you feel with that? Cause you know, like I'm sure you still have CDs. I obviously own CDs, but yeah. how do you feel about the market moving away from that? And I'm sure that you, like my MacBook does not come with a CD drive anymore, you know? Yeah. And Here's my CD drive. Yep. <laughs> Bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure press is trending down. Like we've had people specifically at like that always wanted CDs since COVID hit. We're just kind of like, we'll take digital asset, you know, like how do yeah. you feel about the market moving that way? Especially when the people that probably would value the CD most is the traditional press. I mean, we still send CDs out to, as you know, to like a hundred percent. And I send them there's a couple of reasons why I send them. First of all, I do it because I know that there are people that prefer that and they prefer right. that me they re- review things that way. Uh, it also serves as a tactical reminder. Um, for instance, I have this stack of Tomoko CDs looking at me right now in the face. If I didn't have her one sheet done, it would remind me to do it, you right. know, which is the same thing I, I can, I would imagine with, with certain journalists that to have a physical reminder to get in the mail. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that CD, I remember I saw that in my inbox. You know, it makes more of an impact to some than just a digital download where you download it. And sometimes, you know, the track names don't show up and they can't find it. And it's like a whole mess. So I think that it's really, uh, it, it serves as a tactical reminder, which is why I would send them. And then the third thing is there are some people that really do appreciate CDs. And a lot of these folks are not getting paid to do these reviews, which is why right. sometimes it's even hard for me you know, when I'm doing like follow-ups with press, I feel bad. I'm like, hi, I know you have like a job and you have children and you know, you're in the, we're in a pandemic and like the world is on fire, but like, could you, did you, did you have me listen to yeah, 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 yeah. a free review for your free blog that no one's paying you for? You know, it's like, I feel really like it's, it's, you know, it's like, I have like no time to do anything. So I feel guilty asking people who have, you know, anyway, my point is, is that they're getting something in return for some of these people getting a CD is kind of like the exchange. Like right. that, Getting a CD in the mail is like the, is the reward for doing the prep, doing the coverage because they are collectors or they just want to have them. So this is like some of the values in CDs is why I still send them. That being said though, uh, the trend to digital is not going away anytime soon. And I do think that it is to our advantage as a jazz world to get on board with that. Um, the most frustrating thing for me is of course the radio situation, which is that radio is still largely dependent on physical product. Right. And the issue with that is Besides the, uh, besides like the annoyance of having to just, you know, send hundreds of CDs um, for maybe airplay and maybe stuff, we don't even know, is that 
you're actually shutting out, like the radio stations that require physical are actually shutting out a good portion of up and coming rising artists because a lot of artists cannot afford to print CDs, especially if they're right. doing it independently. Can't afford to do it, it's too expensive to mail, it's a lot of money. So yeah. in a way, and then you have stations that they complain, well, I don't, you know, how come I'm not getting any, I don't see any young players doing anything, or I'm not playing anything young or blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, if you would allow digital submissions, maybe you would, because you would actually open yourself up to all these artists that are not doing physical product, but are doing amazing work. So this is where things get really difficult and dicey. And I'm always kind of straddling the line because I need to be cool with everyone and, you know, be friendly with my DJs and hosts. But I also am like, <laughs> if you would just- right download you, you know you would have that artist you're looking for so this is kind of a thing um and i i do feel that if it continues to trend this way where physical product is required in certain instances and they cannot live with digital there's going to be such a giant and vast divide between what is actually going on on the scene and what people are actually hearing and that is not it's not going to be representative of what's really going on right and, um, that's an issue yeah, I, I hear you with that. It's tough because I don't think a lot of people realize that just sending out 200 CDs can be $1,500. Just because to get CDs to where it's even beginning to be worthwhile money-wise is 500 print. You know, it's $4 a package to sh ship stuff out. It's, it definitely can eliminate people, especially knowing like you're not going to see that money back. Like you won't see your publicity cost back. You won't see your radio team back. You won't see any of that stuff back. That's exactly right. It is a really tough thing. And it is something that I, um, I, I will say I have noticed, like there have been people that have gotten more on board with the idea of digital and I'm happy to see that. But in general, it is still a big problem and it is still an uphill, an uphill battle. As long as press people need CDs, I will send them. I mean, in the end, it's like my job truly is to make it easy for people to cover the music that I'm working. So if a journalist asks me for, you know, I don't know, if he asks me for something really, really specific and he needs it on a deadline and whatever, like I will make sure he gets what he needs because I want my artist covered and I will do whatever <laughs> needs to get that coverage. So I, if you need me to hand deliver it to you by pigeon or something, I will do that. Right. So as for as long as people need CDs, I'll send them. But I also would love for digital to be more widely accepted. Right, right, right. It's tough. So, you know, on, I guess on a different note, when you're not um, doing music, you know, in, in the weird times where you are not doing music, how do you stay sane? Like, what are your outlets that are not jazz? <laughs> oh my god that's such a funny question that you would pr pr pretend i have a life outside of this um it's a hope you know <laughs> no you know what i mean i'll be honest i would say that my day does definitely revolve around my work and uh it is something that i spend a lot of time doing that being said though i am really trying to make active steps to not be defined wholly by what i do for my work um it is hard and it gets harder because the thing is is like the more recognition you get for stuff great but the more you become solely identified as just doing that mm -hmm. and people expect it from you all the time sorry yeah people expect it from you all the time and that is hard and it's a challenge because i do do other things like i like to do things i like to go shopping and buy you know like 
expensive purses on sale at you know consignment stores like sure, I like sure. I, you know, I, I, I like to go see movies in the old days I, I like to spend time with my dog and you know there are things that I do that have nothing to do with this but but um, it does become really challenging and um, I'll be honest and say that actually this year especially early in the year um, the Forbes thing was amazing and great and it actually opened up a lot of doors for not just for me but really for my clients which is really what matters but it also put a lot of pressure on me. And I was, I was really like having a hard time at one point dealing with it. Cause I was like, wow, like people are literally not, like they're constantly on my case. And it's, they're constantly want to talk to me about, about jazz and about my job and about artists. And I love it, but it's also like, whoa, it's really overwhelming. So um, yeah, staying sane is def definitely difficult, but I think it also goes into though musicians too should have an outlet that's not just music. And there should be something that is beyond this because if you're doing this all the time, the joy gets taken out of it because you're constantly on deadline, you're constantly under pressure. And that's something I'm always struggling with. It's tough. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, so when was the, what was the last show you binged on Netflix? You know, like, like how do you actually get out of it? Cause it's, it's tough. Cause you feel guilty oh, to yeah. not answer a call uh, to answer an email or whatever, but. For me, I mean, this is what I have been doing. Um, I, I've been, okay. So I, I think the first thing, and it's not just even for, for me, but for people in general is like to first of all, figure out how it is that you work and what works well for you. And I used to feel really guilty, like getting up early and not working right away. And I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm like wasting all this time. But then I realized it's like, no, like my brain needs time to like deal with the world and like get, you know, functional. And then I can start my day when I want to. That's why I work for myself, you know? So getting over like that guilt actually took me quite some time. Um, another thing that I, um, that I, I did is I, I make like a hard out as far as like my day. Like for me, after eight o'clock, like I will not look at my email. I just won't look at it. If I have to get something out of my email for something else, I will literally go in and search for what I'm looking for and not let it pull from my, from like pull from my from inbox. inbox. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't want to see it. Cause if I see it, it's like that stress. Like I will immediately become super stressed. So I, I just won't look um, on the weekends. I do not look at my email on Saturday and Sunday, uh, like more than once, you know, unless there's an emergency and, right. and my assistant is on it too. Like, it's not like we're like, you know, about this job, like she'll tell me if there's no, you know, something important, but like I, I had to do these things. So, um, so those things help. And then, uh, yeah, during that time, um, I'll probably just end up watching the same shit because I tend to binge things I've seen a hundred times. So, um, <laughs> Lately, I haven't binged much new. I did watch The Crown from start to finish uh, recently. No, it's a phenomenal show. Loved The Crown. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed watching The Crown. I'm also a big podcast person. I sure. love this Talking Sopranos podcast because I love The Sopranos. So I listen to that every week. I listen to Pod Save America and all those political shows, you know, and I, I listen to things like the podcast about, you know, just lame stuff. I also listen to good podcasts like Fresh Air and, you know, uh, code switch and that every week as well. But yeah, I unwind by like taking a walk, putting in a podcast, you know, walking the dog and just not looking at my email. Yeah. But most of the time I'm thinking about work and stressing about work. What about, uh, what about interesting hobbies? Have you picked up any recent skills as of late? You know, like what was your COVID thing you learned how to do? I learned how to lose weight. I'll tell you that. Okay. I, um, I actually lost almost 30 pounds since January. That's killing. <laughs> 
And um, yeah, I actually, I actually lost like um, quite some weight from just eating healthy. And I do eat like shit on a Sunday, but sure. yeah. <laughs> just one day a week. But but yeah, I um, I have, I have actually made it a point to to get healthier eating habits, which I know sounds like a lame ass hobby, but you know what? It's really hard to do that. It, no, um, it is. So, so that is something new. Um, also, I like. I can't believe I'm I also like to switch. Um, my husband and I went in and got one with uh, one of his stimulus, one of the stimulus checks. <laughs> we got it from a, from, a, from a, a, a small business in New York. So we were supporting the economy. Um, so I have been playing uh, some pretty cool Nintendo games, which I never had video games growing up. So yeah. what a world. I was like, whoa. And, you know, I think that certain substances that are now legal in New York City are very helpful ways to unwind. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Just, you know, the, the fun things I get you. It's cool. Yeah. So, so those, those things for sure. Um, but, and I also like to read. I mean, I do read a lot. I, I read the New Yorker, you know, pretty regularly. I like to read books. I'm in the middle of like three different books. I'm, you know, I'm reading a book about the imbalance in the Senate right now. Um, I'm, that is not the most entertaining, but very interesting. And I'm also reading um, a novel um, called The Vanishing Half, which is great. And I, I do love to to do those things too. But yeah, I would say that like most of the time though, I'm just stressing about this music. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that though. I don't know. It's it's like the insanity is is almost like what we enjoy. You know, like maybe a little masochistic if, in some weird way. Well, you know, it's really hard because when you're in this field, like when you're in media or you're in PR, I mean, it's really hard on even when I'm like watching, listening to, you know, I'm like listening to the radio and it's like, so if I'm listening, for example, like to Fresh Air, you know, for my enjoyment, I, I'll be listening, but I'm like, oh, who are they reviewing? Oh, why did he review that and not do this? You know, so it's like you, even when I'm listening for enjoyment, I can't turn off my brain. Like I'll be watching a show and I'll be like, man, you know, whose music would be great there? You know, and it's like, I, I can't ever stop thinking about um, can't ever stop thinking about this. Uh, even when I went to like, I went to the Guggenheim the other day. Um, and the whole time I was like, wow, it would be great to have a band here. <laughs> and it's like, why am I thinking about this? Like, I'm trying to watch this, look at this art piece. Like, why am I thinking about what client would be good here in the, in the lobby? But it's really hard to turn your brain off when you are obsessed. Yeah, that might be the, the easiest way is we're just all ob obsessive, you know, and you kind of have to be, I think, to do what we do is be obsessive, but just a healthy balance, you know? Yeah. I think that it's, um, I think that if, you know, if you really care about something, you'll do a good job. And I, I really, 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 really care about this. Like I really care about my artists and I really care about this music and I really care about my job. Like it is my priority. And I've made a lot of, I've actually made like a lot of sacrifices to be able to do this, you know? And it's like, so I'm obsessed with it. Um, as most people are when they love something. But you do have to be careful to not let that take over your life because if it does, as I said before, the joy kind of gets taken out of it. And I was starting to feel that earlier this year and I was like, this is not good. Like, I don't want to dread looking at my email. I should be excited about what I'm facing, not like, oh, I'm so behind. Oh, I have to do this. Because then you start to lose what made you attracted to in the first place. And you don't want to lose that. That's a good way, to, good way to phrase it. Well, look, you know, thanks so much for coming on. Let me pick your brain and harass you about the industry and what's going on there uh it's i think it's a good insight for people to learn more about this you know like what you do you know because so many musicians get so caught up in 
everything else in life that they forget about this and that you're also more than just a downbeat review, you know? You are certainly more than just your reviews. And, you know, it's something I, I have to say, like I, when I was growing up in my house, it's like my dad, I always didn't, I really felt like my dad did not pay much attention to this stuff. I mean, he, he certainly did because it was part of the vibe, but it wasn't like, I never heard him talk about reviews or articles or press or anything. I mean, I knew he did interviews, I'd hear them, you know, but it's like, I never really had him, he never really talked about these things. Because um, for him, it was just like, his love is the music and putting out music and recording and writing music. And, and that was his thing. And so this, all this other stuff was just sort of like not part of it. Um, and what's been really interesting now while I do this is to just sort of like share even that with him, be like, Hey, like you're on the cover of this magazine this month, like you're welcome, you know? And it's like <laughs> that. And he's like, Whoa, you did that. And it's like, yeah, like, this is what I do. This is my job. And he's like, wow, I didn't even know. Like, that's what you do. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> it's like, what do you think I do all day? Like he, and this is a guy who's been doing this for decades and he doesn't even really, I mean, he knows now, but like, he didn't really know what I did, you know, right. it's kind of an enigma, but it's also not the only thing. And um, there's a lot more out there than just, yeah, you know, that review that people are going to slip by for one second, only as good as your last project. So true. <laughs> other thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's it's... the other thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's, and I will put this too, because I'm sure there are people listening to this that are like, well, I didn't get the downbeat review this first time I'm a failure. This is the thing, like just because you didn't get it the first time around does not mean it will never happen. And I think that I truly honestly believe that things do happen for a reason. And sometimes when you have, when you have established more of a presence for yourself and you have been more active on the scene and you've released more stuff, when the press hits for those projects, it means more than if you're just an up and coming person that no one's really heard of you and yeah, okay, nice introduction, but you know, it's, it, the turnover is so fast, people's attention is so divided that by the time they read your review and read who you are, they're already on to the next one. So sometimes it helps to have a legacy behind you and to actually be building yourself more, you know, so that when that review does come, you know, maybe three, four records down the line, you already have like a really established career. So when people want to check you out, there's a lot for you to check out. So I think it's also something to keep in mind, again, with pacing and starting and, and not trying to jump in and get everything right away because in the end, it's, that's not really what's going to like give you longevity in a career. So that might be some of the best advice, but like the toughest pill, I think for anyone to swallow ever, you know, is that it's just not, you're not going to have it figured out at 25 or 30 or probably 35. And then I think you get it figured out after that. I, I think, you know, some of the, some artists I work with, it is, very, I will say something that I love, like I love this job so much. And something I love about this job is that you really get to know people and you know, people that you think have it like so together and that have been doing this, like our iconic musicians who've been doing this for so long. And you, you know, as players you idolize, man, everyone's still figuring this out. Like everyone's still working that out and figuring out who they are and what they want to do. And even those musicians that you, I mean, I think you'd be shocked. Like if you knew some of the conversations I've had with people that you'd be like, what? Like, right? He, like, which I'm, and I'm even like, wait, you're coming to me for advice? Like, what? But it's because everyone is still figuring it out. So, you know, it's all good. Everyone just needs to chill. <laughs> <laughs> well, and with that, it's a Friday. Let me give you your weekend so you can just go chill, hopefully, in theory. Uh, theory. But, you know, thanks so much for, for coming on and, and talking and, I don't know, giving me the secret to the world, I guess. Yeah. Just it all. <laughs> 
go forth. Yeah, go forth and prosper with all these world secrets. But uh, no, thank you so much for having me. And and big ups to what you guys do. Um, Outside of Music is truly one of the one of the best labels. I recommend you to everyone. And um, I think that what you're doing is such an important thing. And thank you for everything that you guys are doing. 